Happy Sabbath. I am happy today because, I don't know, there's just so many wonderful things happening. Just this morning, so many wonderful things are happening. You know, I got to sit and hang out with Sully, and then Dave surprised the kids with these toys or plush, uh, plush dolls. Not dolls, what do you call them? Stuffed animals, there you go. Thank you. I didn't play with stuffed animals. I played with G.I. Joes. And so, yeah, see, the, the Nathan knows about G.I. Joes so, and Transformers. But yeah, it, it's just a wonderful morning, and I, and I just feel good, uh, especially with the topic that we've been talking about these past five weeks, the here I am. And so uh, what does that mean to say here I am? Well, it's saying that, God, I'm showing up. I hear you calling, I'm showing up. Here I am. And today we conclude our series uh, with Isaiah's story, at least the sermon series. But the here I am, the Becky story, we're going to continue that April 8. And I did not share that during announcements that what I want us to start doing as a church, I shared this with the elders this past week, was that I want us to... Uh, every quarter we're going to have here I am slash blank someone's story. Someone from our church family will get to share their story. And the reason why I want us to do that is because I want us to experience one another's story. I think it's going to build fellowship. It's going to build rapport with one another. And we can also be inspired by each other's story. Because our story... Really, it's about God's story. Our story is a testament to how God has worked in our lives. And that's why I thought from this day forth, or from April 8, moving forward every quarter, once every quarter, we're going to have someone from the church family share their story. But for today, we are going to look at Isaiah's story. It concludes the sermon series, Here I Am. And just a quick recap on what we've been doing this past five weeks. The first week, we started this series with Abraham's story, where Abraham was told by God to take Isaac up to Mount Moriah, right? And there you will sacrifice your son. And he obeyed. And because he obeyed, he was blessed with faithfulness. Abraham. The following Sabbath, we then talked about Jacob and how Jacob, this Despite his fear of Esau, he still showed up. He said, God, here I am. I'm going to follow you. You want me to meet with Esau? I'm going to do it, even though I'm I'm afraid of my brother. And what did his brother do? Did his brother strike him down? No. His brother hugged him. He hugged him. The Bible actually says that he threw his arms around Jacob, a sign of love and affection. So Jacob was blessed with reconciliation because he showed up. A quick point, when you show up, it's not because you're expecting God to bless you with something. The blessing is a natural consequence of you showing up. Because you show up, you're going to be blessed in a special way. And Moses, Moses was fighting within himself. He didn't know who he was. He even said God, when when God called him, when God said, I'm sending you to Pharaoh, Moses' response, if you remember, was, who am I? 
Moses was going through a crisis. He didn't know who he was. But because he showed up, nonetheless, he was blessed with an identity. And if you think that's not an issue today, lots of people are going through identity crises, issues. And I'm not just talking about uh, transgender or anything to that effect. I'm, I'm even talking about people with PTSD, people who have mental health uh, issues. There's just so much identity crisis. Even Adventists. Should I go to that church or go to that church? Because that church doesn't speak to my identity, so I'm going to go to that church. Identity crisis. Think about it. Then Samuel, we talked about Samuel last week. A recap on his story was that this boy, between the ages of 12 or 17, some believe 12, some others say he was 17. Nonetheless, he was a young boy who stood up when Eli, on the other hand, was an older man who couldn't speak because he didn't want to show up. Samuel showed up and he was blessed with courage. And today we're going to look at Isaiah's story. We're going to see how Isaiah is blessed with hope. And why is hope important for Isaiah's story? Well, it's because Isaiah's story was like a roller coaster ride. One king after another king. Some kings were good, other kings were bad. Then another good king came, and then another bad king uh, uh, replaced that other king. It was a roller coaster ride. A roller coaster ride of politics and, and unfaithfulness and faithfulness and good and bad. Kind of sounds similar to our situation today, right? When we get new presidents or new leaders, new senators, new governors throwing us on a roller coaster ride. If you've ever been on a roller coaster ride, you might enjoy it. Or some of you might be like me, where you hate it. In 1992, Six Flags finally opened in San Antonio, Texas. I grew up in Houston, Texas, neighboring cities. So my family, my mom said, we're going to visit San Antonio. We're going to go see the Alamo. We're going to go visit Shamu in SeaWorld. Then, we're gonna, then we all said, hey, can we also go on the roller coaster in, in San Antonio, in Six Flags San Antonio? And so my mom said, yeah, we're going to do all that. So we did those things, and then the time came where we were going to visit Six Flags. And as we're walking in, there stood Iron Rattler. That was the name of the roller coaster, Iron Rattler. If you're familiar with Rattlers, it's a short name for rattlesnakes. Now, if you know anything about rattlesnakes, they curve, right? They, They move side to side in the sand, right? Rattlers. And then when they bite you, they sting. It can kill a human being. They always say that if you're hiking somewhere where there's rattlesnakes, it's best to be the first person and not the second person. Do you know why? Because the first person startles the rattlesnake, lets them know, lets the rattlesnake know that there's someone there, and then the second person is walking by and gets stung. But, but that roller coaster was named after a rattlesnake. So you can imagine what kind of roller coaster it was. It had this movement. We were going left to right. And then just when we were adjusting to going to right, then we were going up, then we were going down. All of my cousins were excited to ride it. 
although I was afraid. I didn't want to show it, though, because I was the oldest cousin, right? Emerson and Joy, they're younger than me. Joy lives up to her name. She is a joyful. But, uh, but me, I wanted, because I'm the older cousin, I said, I need to show that I'm tough. So I rode that roller coaster, and we got tossed side to side, up and down. And then finally, when the uh, ride ended, I ran out to the corner of the exit where there was a trash can, and I hurled everything I ate that morning. TMI. But that, you, that probably sits with you. That probably resonates with you, right? Maybe you've had that experience with the roller coaster. But that's Isaiah's story. Isaiah's story is filled, of a, it's filled with a roller coaster. It's like a roller coaster ride is what Isaiah went through. Our key text here is found in Isaiah 6, verse 8. And I would just invite you to keep your Bibles open to Isaiah chapter 6 because I'm going to go to it frequently in our message today. Isaiah 6, 8. It's God speaking. Isaiah then heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Just a quick side note. Do you see how God is speaking here? He says, whom shall I send and who will go for me? No, he says us. This is one of the places in the Bible where you get a glimpse of the Holy Trinity, right? Where there's a Godhead and the Godhead is saying, who are we going to send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah speaks up and says, here I am, send me. But up to this point, Isaiah was not willing to speak up, not until he has this special experience with God, which we will go into that in a little bit. But here he is, he's saying, here I am, send me. Well, why does, it, why does God need to send Isaiah? Well, because the time of Isaiah's life was tumultuous. His environment, his culture, the world he lived in was tumultuous. How so? Well, let's look at four kings. Isaiah served under the rule of four kings. Some will say five uh, in, if they include Manasseh, but uh, where he was actually serving as an advisor to these kings, it was four kings, Uzziah, which was followed by his son Jotham, and then Ahaz, and then Hezekiah. So let's look at these four kings. Let's look at their qualities. Let's look at their, um, their, what they did for the country of Judah, right? What did they do for Judah? So King Uzziah, you get this in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 26, he was only 16 years old when he became king. 16 years old. I can't imagine that kind of responsibility at 16 years old because when I was 16, my greatest concern was how to turn on my PlayStation and how to watch TV. But this man was leading Judah at the age of 16 years old. And it tells us that he reigned in Jerusalem for 52 years. Okay, now for the most part, for most of that 52 years, he did really well. He was a good king. It tells us in the Bible that he defeated the Philistines and other neighboring enemies. He was so good in warfare that his fame spread as far as Egypt, which meant that it was, his fame was going all the way down south to Egypt. 
Now, towards the later part of his life, pride got the best of him. Pride led to his downfall. You might recall the story where he decides that he, he was impatient with the priests in the temple, so he takes the, the incense, right? And he does what the priests were supposed to do. It doesn't sound much to us, but what that's symbolic of is when people can't wait on the Lord and they take actions into their own hands. That in itself is a sin. It's impatience. It's impatience that makes us find ourselves in a hole, that we can find ourselves doing something wrong. And that's what happens to King Uzziah. I think this is a wonderful example that you can live your life well and good and you do these great things, but if you never get rid of that one sin, pride or stubbornness, this is a great example of how every day counts in our life. That our salvation, our relationship with Jesus, with God, should be a daily occurrence. You can't say, oh, well, for 40 years, I've been an Adventist. I've been a good Christian for 40 years. I did this and I did that. I think now I'm entitled to some grace, eternal grace, right, God? No. If we're going to have that relationship with God, it's a daily walk. So, just with King Uzziah's story, we see a roller coaster ride in that already, right? He's up right here. Then towards the latter part of his life, he goes down. He gets sick. Leprosy befalls on King Uzziah. He can't lead anymore. And because he can't lead anymore, uh, his son then steps in. King Jotham steps in. And you'll see that there is a overlap between the two of these men is because King Jotham reigns with his father for some amount of years. They reign together. Now what we find about King Jotham in Second Chronicles is that this is a really good king, right? 25 years old when he became king. 25 years old. That's when I was finishing my studies at Southwestern. That's how I relate to these characters. I try to figure out, okay, what was I doing at that age? Oh, wow. That, that Bible character was a lot more mature than I was, right? So 25 years old, he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 16 years. That's four presidential terms, if you want to put it in our perspective, right? So he reigned in Jerusalem for 16 years. He built towns in the Judean hills, which meant that he grew the country, right? He grew the country of Ju Judah. And he also rebuilt the upper gates of the temple. He defeated the Ammonites, which the Ammonites then paid tribute to him every year. And then he grew powerful. Why? Because he walked with God. He walked with God. This is a good, God-fearing man. Now, parents, listen closely, though. Even though he was a good, God-fearing man, there's one thing that he did not do well. He did not destroy the pagan places of worship. And because of that, because of that, his son, his own son, the prince of Jerusalem, found himself in pagan worship. It's a lesson for parents. It's a lesson for any adult. 
that if you don't teach your children, and I'm saying children in general, not just the parents now. As a pastor, I have a responsibility. If we have children, it's my responsibility that they too are to, that I have to teach them the ways of the Lord, right? Any of us can learn from this that, that we need to do away with anything that can compromise our faith, especially the faith of the next generation. So what happens next? Well, because King Joseph did not destroy the pagan places of worship, here comes King Ahaz. Now, King Ahaz was nothing like Joseph, was nothing like his father. He grew up in this pagan environment. 20 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem for 16 years, just like his father. However, unlike his father, he was unfaithful to the Lord. He made idols for the worship of Baal. He closed the doors of the temple, which prevented the people from coming to God. And the worst thing that he possibly ever did was he sacrificed his sons. Now some in our day and age may say, how can a parent ever sacrifice their child? Well, I would like to say, you know, when I worked as a teacher in Dallas, there were parents there that sacrificed their children. Not on an altar, mind you, but because they decided that work was more important than their children, they sacrificed home life. Don't think it doesn't happen today. It still happens today. And it doesn't have to be work-related. It can be anything. Maybe it's something where I've, as a, as a chaplain, I've seen some patients who, because of the trauma they've experienced in life, they lean on alcohol and they have sacrificed their family because of that alcohol. What is it? What is that vice? What is the sin that, that, that can be passed down to the child or cause you to neglect your child? So King Ahaz was nothing like Jotham. This was a bad king. Do you see the roller coaster ride that Isaiah and the people of Judah are going through? It's this up and down motion of leaders, good and bad. Then after Ahaz... I think Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, saw the faults of his father, and what did he do? He did everything the opposite of his father. He said, you close the doors of the temple? Guess what, Dad? I'm going to open the doors of the temple so people can come to God, so people can worship. Then he also rededicated the temple to God. Then he removed all the pagan altars, and he encouraged true worship of the one true God, of the one true king of all kings. And then because of his faithfulness, when Assyria was knocking down on, on his door, threatening the country, he cries out to God, he prays to God, and what does God do? God defends Judah from Assyria. That, we know the story, eventually Judah falls and crumbles after Hezekiah. But it could have happened sooner. But because Hezekiah was a faithful king, was a good king, that destruction was delayed. 
But do you see the up and down roller coaster ride of good kings and bad kings? Why do I point this out? Well, because today I've heard often, whether it's people from the church or outside of the church, people just, we're broken as a country is what people will say. We're so divided. From one president to another president, there's division everywhere. And for the first time in my life, just my life, I'm 42 years old, I've never seen anything like this type of division. I've heard about the 60s and 70s, but I wasn't present. I can't really speak to the 60s and 70s. But even then, the people, our more seasoned church family members here, can attest that even what we see today is not as crazy as it was back then. We're on a roller coaster ride in our day and age. We find ourselves sometimes, maybe within this group, where we feel like we need to take sides. Well, I'm on the right, I'm on the left, I'm Republican, I'm Democrat. I believe this, I believe that, and because you don't believe what I believe in, guess what? You're my enemy. But this is what we need to learn from, not Isaac, Isaiah's story. What we need to learn from Isaiah's story is that it's not about the earthly kingdoms. It's about what? God's kingdom. The kingdom above. That's what really matters. That's what what. Uh, Isaiah was experiencing when he was called by God. He was experiencing the sovereignty of God. So let's go back to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, now you know the environment. Now you know the culture. Now you know what Isaiah was going through. The discord, the up and down, the side to side, the craziness, the chaos, the good, the bad, the peace, the war. Now you know what he was going through. So from Isaiah chapter 1 through chapter 5, it's a message to the people on how they have grown so cold and so stubborn to God's word that when we come to Isaiah 6, we get a different picture. We get a different picture. It's a stark contrast to the chaos that we see From Isaiah chapter 1 through 5, we see a beautiful picture of God. Let's read together. Isaiah 6, verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. You might wonder, what is a train? What is that? Well, I want you to think about when a lady gets married on her wedding day, she has a wedding gown on, right? And depending on the woman, some women have their gown that goes all the way to the floor, past the floor, might even go 10 feet, right? And then you have a maid of honor or a bridesmaid lifting up that dress so that it doesn't drag onto the ground. That's the train, well, you know where, where women, modern-day women, get that practice from? It's from kings and queens. Because the longer the train you have, the more majestic you are. 
the more powerful you are. Uh, You're seen as a real powerful king. Well, what does the Bible say? It tells us in the Bible that God's train of his robe filled the temple. That is symbolic of how God's presence is everywhere. God's glory is everywhere. God is truly omnipotent, omniscient, right? He's all-knowing, all, he's everywhere. His reaches are boundless, is what the Bible tells us here. So isn't this a, a big contrast to what Isaiah was experiencing his life, uh, the chaos of kings, and then his eyes are brought to the king of kings. And he realizes there's a big difference with God. Above God were seraphims. Seraphims were the high-ranking angels, right? Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces, and with two, they covered their feet. What does that mean, to cover your face and your feet? That is a sign of humility, that I can't look upon God. I'm not worthy they realize that God is the, is the God of all gods, that, they're, they're, that he is their creator, and that they are created beings. So they are showing signs of humility, actions of humility. And with two, they were flying. What does that symbolize, the flying part? It means that they were taking action in the sense of service. I love this part. There were two examples of humility to cover their face and to cover their feet and one example of service. How do I interpret that? It's simple. If you want to serve God, you need double portions of humility. Double portions of humility if you're going to serve him. That's what the angels know here and that's what they're doing here. Then verse 3, it says, and they were calling to one another. Who's the one calling? It's the angels talking about God. They said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Once again, that's a wonderful example of how his train touches everything, right? The whole earth is full of his train. The whole earth is full of his glory. You can't say that about Hezekiah. You can't say that about Ahaz. You can't say that about Prince William. You can't say that about President Biden. You can't say that about any ruler on earth. No one has that kind of reach. Because all of those rulers that I just mentioned, plus more, are finite. But God is everlasting. I am the Alpha I am the Omega, so my reach is throughout the whole earth. And the seraphims, the angels, they stand witness to this, and they give all glory to God. Then at verse 6, it says, At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then finally, Isaiah speaks up. And he says, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. 
and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So Isaiah is having a humble experience himself. He realizes, I'm not worthy to be in the presence of God. Then one of the angels flew, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has now touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Why was Isaiah able to stand before God after that? It's because God forgives. If you want to stand before God, repent of your sins. And God, who is just and forgiving, will truly forgive you of your sins. That's in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. So now, now you see this change in Isaiah. This man who was scared, this man who was feeble, this man who was tossed back and forth due to the politics of his world, due to the politics of his time, now he has the courage. And I feel like when we get to verse 8, when he finally says, here I am, he is a changed person. If you find yourself doubtful, wondering, I don't know if I should, if I can serve, Maybe there hasn't been changed in your, maybe change hasn't happened in your life yet. Maybe. You know? Or maybe you're at that place where you're just learning humility, and then that's good. Allow that seed of humility to grow in your heart. So now we finally come to verse 8. After the seraphim, after the angels proclaim God's goodness, after they anoint Uh, Isaiah, finally God is the one that speaks. He says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And finally Isaiah says, Here I am, send me. Send me. He was able. He finally had the courage to say, Send me because he was touched by God. He was touched by God. Brothers and sisters, if your eyes are on this world and you find yourselves caught up with the politics of this world, you may miss a blessing. You may miss God. If anyone were to say, well, how do you identify which politics are you on? I think the best answer to that is that I'm on the politics of love. I believe I am to love all people. That I am to show kindness, compassion, love. And within that love, of course, there is also conviction. How are you going to show up? This entire series has all all been about here I am. Here I am. So it's a beautiful picture, a beautiful contrast of kings that can create chaos versus the true king 
the heavenly king, the God king. A contrast. It's almost like dark and light, right? The sovereignty of God is what is going to hold you up. And to close this message, I wanted to show you this picture of, uh, you might know what this is. It's an iceberg, right? There's multiple icebergs in here. The thing I learned about icebergs just recently is that two things can move them. Okay, two things can move them, depending on what type of iceberg you are. Just for the sake of simplicity, I'll say there's a small iceberg and a big iceberg. The big iceberg cannot be moved by wind or the elements of nature, only by currents underneath the water. While the small iceberg can be pushed to and fro by waves and by wind. Well, I think you know where I'm going with this, that life can be like icebergs, that you can be like icebergs. If your iceberg of faith is small, then you can easily be pushed around by anything, by anyone. By the smallest things in life, you can be pushed around. But if your faith is as big as a, as a large iceberg, then the only thing that can move you is that constant current called God. May you be that big iceberg and not that small one. And don't think that we are special, that we have it harder than anyone else in the history of human beings. No. The message that we heard today points to a man's life named Isaiah who experienced the winds and waves of life. But he was able to stand strong because he clung to a sovereign God. And he built his faith on that.